Welcome to What's Up, Wellness from the Third Floor. This podcast is provided by the Wellness and Health Action Team, also known as WET, from Portland State University's Center for Student Health and Counseling, or SHAC. We're located in the Health Promotion Suite on the third floor of the University Center building on campus. Our purpose with this podcast is to discuss a variety of health-related topics in a way that will be accessible for a non-traditional campus. My name is Bella, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. My name is Josh, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. And my name is Quinn. My pronouns are he, him, his. We're all members of the Wellness and Health Action Team, and we'll be your hosts for this podcast. Let's get into it. Welcome back, listeners, and hello. Um, This week's episode is one that is near and dear to my heart and very special. I am joined by a wonderful special guest, um, actually the original founder of this podcast, and my best friend. Um, She is a former um, PSU alumni um, and Wattster, as well as a current graduate student at the school, um, OHSU PSU School of Public Health. Siri, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? How's it, Quinn? And aloha kako to the listeners. So thank you for having me today. Thank you for joining us and being a part of it. Glad that you can finally be on the project that you you, you started. Yes, I am very happy to be here and recording this um, actually on the third floor um, <laughs> of my house um, inside my walk-in closet. So it gives... Um, you know, we're finally living out the name of the podcast. So <laughs> Truly, right? I know this season over Zoom has been interesting, but... I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Made it work. <laughs> yes, it, it's working here. So, um, yeah, like Quinn said, my uh, my name is Siri. Um, my full name is Siri Kolohe Keola, uh, which, funny enough, means uh, beautiful or victorious, mischievous life, <laughs> which I think uh, very much match my, matches my gender. Um, I identify as a Hapaha'ole uh, Kanaka Maoli, queer polyamorous friend from Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, might not be all saying all the Hawaiian right, but here we are. It's colonized language. So, <laughs> and um like Quinn said, I go to the OHSU PSU School of Public Health. This is my last quarter. Um, I'm doing the public health practice program, really passionate about public health, um, language accessibility, making health communication accessible for multiple languages, especially for the Pacific Islander community, which I am a part of. Yeah, so I'm super excited to be here. Awesome. And so glad again to have you with us. Um, and finally getting to be a voice on the podcast. Um, Could you kind of branch off of your introduction there? Do you mind just kind of telling us a little bit about your journey? Like how did public health become like such a like critical part of, of your life that you wanted to like pursue it in grad school? Yeah. So you want like the full, full story, like the whole like oh, beginning yeah. of time, like that kind. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. So here it is. So, okay. Like we want, if we want like the background background, I'll be like, can I got to like start with like, I'm like a cakey, like I'm a kid basically. So, okay. So my background is, uh, I was like, I grew up in uh, Chinatown in Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, my mom um, is a retired nurse. So she would come home from the hospital being a nurse and just be like, really exhausted at the end of the day and we would actually have a lot of interesting conversations about the healthcare system and how the healthcare system was really inaccessible and really inequitable um, and there was a lot of issues between 
her being a nurse and the doctors and the doctors not listening to her as a nurse and things like that. So fast forward to now I'm college age. So I'm in community college. I attended the Kapinalani, um, Kapinalani Community College back home in Hawaii. Um, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I, ma I majored in liberal arts, um, went there for about like three years. Um, and then I graduated and moved to Portland here. Um, my mom's actually from Salem here and my dad was born and raised, um, in Kalihi Valley back on Oahu. So we moved here and I was like, I still don't know what I want to do. I know what I want to get a, I know I want to get a bachelor's, but I'm not really sure in what field. Um, so I knew about public health because I, I was, I'm super into movies and I watched a lot of public health contagion movies like the actual movie contagion oh yeah i very much remember when we uh when the like quarantine first started and we were like hanging out i the, the first yes. thing that you showed me was like quinn do you want to watch a movie and it happened to be <laughs> one such movie <laughs> yeah it was it was actually 28 days later um not maybe the best trauma-informed movie to like show someone like during um a global pandemic but you know, it, that's okay. Like it was a coping mechanism. It was. It was very entertaining. It we was, got. Uh, yeah. We got some good film. Yeah, <laughs> got got some bonding over it. So, um. Anyway, so I knew a lot of I. My only public health background was these movies, which I feel like is kind of a common experience with people that are unfamiliar with public health. They see all these movies. They see a bunch of epidemiologists running around trying to figure out why there uh, is you know X disease like happening. Um, at the same time, I was uh, really also interested in sexuality studies. Um, so I really wanted to just like kind of study sexuality as like a field. Um, so I was kind of like, oh, well, maybe I can like combine those two, but I didn't really know how to do that. So when I first came here, obviously had to get a job, ended up working as like a receptionist for a salon. And you know, reception for a while. But then I saw the hairstylist and I'm like, hey, they look like they have a pretty good job. And it doesn't sound like you need, you know, years of education to become, you know, a cosmetologist. And I knew, so I can't do hair. Don't ever ask me to do hair <laughs> um, at all. Um, I can't cut straight. That's, you know, <laughs> haha, gay joke. Like, I'm not, like, <laughs> can't do anything straight, you know? Um <laughs> But I, so in Oregon, you can, um, you don't have to be a full cosmetologist. So you, I mean, you can be a full cosmetologist, but you have the option not to. So in Oregon, you get three separate licenses if you're a full cosmetologist. So one license for hair, one for nails, and one for aesthetics or basically skincare um, or skin. You deal with skin things, do like facials and waxing and things like that. So I was like, I'm going to go to B school. Never thought I would, but you know, here we are. It's whatever year it was. Uh, went to beauty school. Um, I got licensed in nail technology and aesthetics um, in 2013. And then I actually um, got a job waxing, full doing like full body waxing because I really enjoy doing that. It's very cathartic. Um, I'm really good at it. It's just like really fun and enjoyable for me. And I went pretty high in, you know, in the waxing place that I was at, um, got pretty good. Um, almost was, was basically a trainer 
for other like waxers so anyways i'm in my you know waxing studio like ripping people's hair off of them um and i'm talking to like you know all kinds of folks that walk in and there's some people they're like oh yeah I do public health and I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. Like, what's that? Like, what do you do in public health? And, you know, they like explained to me like what they were doing in, bu in public health. And that sounded interesting to me. But what I really uh, recognized during that job was what we call in public health the, so the social ecological model. I, I didn't know there was a name for it, but I realized that there was when I, you know, started my career um, in this field that basically none of my all of my clients were coming in influenced by some kind of cultural or social norm so which was westernized beauty standards um, i would have a lot of clients come in and be really self-conscious about their body hair um, and not just because of them as a person a lot of times it was because of their boyfriend their husband their partner whoever um, told them that they should not have hair in certain places and i recognize that and i didn't at the time i didn't feel that it was maybe the most ethical industry that i could continue being a part of i didn't feel that it was something worthwhile or really greater than myself to like to keep pursuing even though i was really good at it and i was making a good amount of money from so all of that accumulated and I realized I want to quit my job and go back to school and get my bachelor's in public health um, and then also minor in sexuality gender and queer studies which incidentally was the best decision ever <laughs> to do that shout out to like the Portland State SGQ department um because they're really amazing and they taught me uh way more about systems and how systems of power influence things and way more than my public health degree honestly ever taught me um which is you know a bright spot or an opportunity for change really Absolutely. uh it's a bright spot for like the sqq department at psu so i'm really grateful for that information um so I enrolled in my undergraduate degree, you know, worked at what, met you, yes. <laughs> applied to grad school, got in, um, you know, and kind of like, here I am. So one thing that's like coming to my mind, um, like with you talking about your journey that I, I that you left out, but I think is a, right, like, I guess it's not necessarily like your journey, but it's one that I found, I don't know, you've talked a lot about that's really, really interesting. It's just um, you're like, as you've come into the field of public health and like your understanding of it, um, you did a lot of, I don't know, you made a lot of connections with um, back home and like things that like events that have happened there um, and, you know, the things in like your communities that have occurred um, and kind of like, I don't know, studied how that all is like played out um, from a public health lens. Do you mind sharing that a little bit with the listeners and like talking about that because I think those are very valuable very valuable stories yeah no I um definitely love to talk about that there's there's kind of a lot um with that you know just talking about like my I mean if you want to like talk about like my neighborhood that I grew up in you know for anyone that like you know is on the island now um or has grown up there um I lived in Chinatown um, and I would come home, um, 
my sibling and I would come home from school and uh, people would ask us what we're doing there because it's, you know, it's a rough neighborhood. Um, you know, so there is a lot of, uh, when you look back in your life and you realize that what we call like the social determinants of health, which is, you know, where you live, uh, where you work, where you, you know, play, where you worship, where you interact with the world um, and how that shapes your environment. Uh, when you get to look back on that and you're as yourself, especially as someone who is a underrepresented, you know, minority on multiple fronts of mine because of my intersecting and intersecting like identities. Um, I think that's just like really interesting to kind of like look back on my life and be like, wow, damn, I'm, I'm, I'm here. You know, yeah. there was a lot of cards stacked against me, um, living, you know, back home, um, living in section eight housing, living through, you know, domestic abuse, like things like that, you know, um, we're here. Um, so yeah, just, Lots of lots of stories, um, you know, growing up and stuff like that. Um, public health was never really on my radar, even though I did interact with it um, on a regular basis. I just didn't know that concept of public health was so abstract to me that I, I didn't know that I was actually interacting with it. So funny enough, my I remember my first public health communications campaign and it was in the Hawaii State Library. And this is like back in my, like, you know, my Hanabata days, like my small kind kid days. I'm like, what's the English for a year? Um, <laughs> you know, like when you're a kid, basically, I'm mm -hmm. like, I can't translate today. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, you get it or you don't. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we're at the library and this is like back in, back in the day when they still had um, computers at the library, like the desktop computers at the oh, library. Like the big old chunky monitors. I don't, I don't know if they were. I think they were. So the place that I can't remember, my memory is a little hazy, but I do remember there was this one, the school that I played piano at. I remember when they got the giant Mac computers Ooh. that were like, you know what? Yeah, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Like the the jelly colored ones, not jelly like... colored, but like it looked like the jelly slipper kind. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't remember if like the Hawaii State Library had that or not. I mean, they're like state funded. So anyway, so there was a poster on the wall there. And I always crack up when I say this. Um, <laughs> it said, don't shake the cakey. <laughs> and for to, to translate that. Um, so by the way, that's a Hawaiian pidgin English term. Um, or it's also known as a Hawaiian, uh, Hawaii Creole. So it, in English, it means don't shake the baby. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where you know it's a problem, but you didn't realize like, oh, maybe that's not okay to do. But back home, people be like shaking their children. <laughs> so much so that it was like obviously a public health issue that, you know, the Hawaii like Department of Health or whoever published that needed to put up a sign that said, don't shake the keiki you know, because of brain damage. <laughs> and so I didn't realize this until, you know, now I'm an, you know, I'm an, I'm an adult now. I didn't realize that there wasn't any, I have not seen really any other public health announcements or like public health communication in my language. Um, 
you know, and I say my language of Hawaiian Pidgin English because I did not have the privilege to learn um, Ka'olulu Hawaii or Alolo Hawaii, um, the Hawaiian language. Um, I did not um, have access to that language. Um, it was a language that was, um, it was illegal to speak until I don't remember what year. Um, you know, so it's, it is a privilege to learn, um, and to know that beautiful language, but, um, like most, um, you know, um, Kama'aina back home, like that were born and raised there, grew up, my first language was Hawaiian Pidgin English. So that's what I consider, um, my language. Um, I know that a lot of people don't consider it a language, um, because it is a Creole language. Um, so I'm really trying to push that language forward and publish public health things Absolutely. in it because it's an accessible language and not only to um from what i've been told by other pacific islanders that are not hawaiian um i've heard that it's an accessible language for other racial and ethnic groups of pacific islanders uh, which is also why i think it's an important language to translate into public health communications Absolutely. There's so much nuance to language and, and it and it fundamentally like shapes how you view the world. And you can't like it's really, really hard, right, to translate concepts like yeah. that are like like culturally relevant concepts like from one language to another. Um yeah. or to like try and like force people, oh, like this language that's not your first language. Like try yeah. and just figure just figure it out. Like this is important. Like, you know, you need to know it, but also just figure it out. Like that's it's doesn't that doesn't equal very good public health yeah no you're right um you're right because we back you know certainly back to like the example of like don't shake the cakey that was a really culturally and linguistically relevant public health ad because they don't know of any other places that had that as a public health issue that's not something that i heard of here at least that people are shaking their children <laughs> you know just it, and it just it fit the context of the environment and that's really you know the goal of public health is to like communicate these you know this information to people in an accessible way so they can learn from it absolutely yeah kind of jumping off of that there's a phrase that you like to throw around that i think um would be really wonderful to kind of elaborate within on this um episode um it is uh talk story is public health Yes. Do you mind informing the <laughs> listeners yes. on what you mean, um, you know, by talk stories, public health? Yes, that is. Uh, that's actually really funny because when I pitched you this podcast idea, I was like, hey, I have this idea. I want to flesh it out. Um, and it's talk stories, public health. So for those people that don't know what talk story is, I think it's like the closest like English translation is like uh, chit chat. Um, or I can't I can't think of anything else in English where you just like you just talk to each other you just kind of um i was can i swear on this thing oh, <laughs> I was yeah. like i was like you're just shooting the shit you know that's, oh, yeah. that's, that's what talk talk story is um and there's a level um to talk story with someone it means you have a level of respect of respect and familiarity with them um and it's also a way to like create respect with one another and like both establish and um solidify relationships with one another um, because, right, you're just talking story, like you're just gossiping or catching up or, you know, whatever. Um, so the my kind of like 
to explain talk stories public health you have to understand that uh well non-pacific islanders have to understand um and i think this is also true for communities of color as well um that pacific islanders and communities of color are a lot of times unofficial social workers therapists caregivers etc um for our own communities um because a lot of times these services these social services services these mental health services are really inaccessible for members of our own communities so we as friends partners family you know co-workers whatever sometimes just have to play the role of an unofficial therapist or a social worker or someone that needs to provide support to someone who is you know having a crisis or you know trying to figure out resources um and we just naturally act as a liaison and provide that emotional work for whoever um you know pacific islanders we consider a lot of people are family even if we don't really know you that well if you're a pacific islander we're gonna be there for you um on the flip side we don't ask for help <laughs> Ever. It's a really hard thing to ask for help ourselves. But once we hear that you need something, even if like we everything's falling apart in our life and maybe like we're broke and we have no money and like whatever, you know, like it's shit's going bad, we would be like, Oh, you need something? Like, oh okay, Auntie needs something, like, okay, go uncle, like be like, Okay, I'm gonna go help them. But we're not gonna ask anything for us, anything ourselves, which is kind of um ironic in a way. Um <laughs> So, and we find out about who needs help or whatever because we talk story with each other. And um, I like to also say that talking story shares um, what we call in public health um, different, four different types of social support. So you get social support through talking story. So the first one, um, the first type of social support is emotional social support that's pretty self-explanatory um it's like empathy and love as an example so my auntie which isn't like you know like pacific Islander, you know like what who auntie is it's not my actual aunt but it actually is my boss um she always um ends our meetings our team meetings saying that she loves us she ends, you know, meetings with other Pacific Islanders uh, with a really genuine and heartfelt, I love you. She told me that pretty much the first conversation that we had. Um, and she really does. The second type of social support is instrumental, um, which is tangible aid. So if you're familiar with uh, love languages, it is the acts of service love language. Um, the third is my favorite and most frequently offered to others as a Capricorn. Um, <laughs> it is an informational <laughs> support. So that's advice and suggestions. <laughs> the amount of times I've like offhandedly mentioned something to Siri only to get like an email or a text message that's like two pages long, like later of like, hey, I found all these things for you. It is very, very real. <laughs> yeah, I'm always sending people like links to stuff. And I'm like, hey, I found this. Like, I think it'll really help you. Like, you should buy it because <laughs> it would just make your life easier. Like, I think I texted Quinn like something last night that I'm like, hey, you should buy this. This should be like super helpful for you. Oh, yeah. No, the the it's it's um 
it's allergy season and my allergies are acting up. I just offhandedly mentioned that. I wake up to like a text message of like, oh, here's all these different teas and stuff, which is lovely. Wonderful friend. Um, but it's just, it's just very, very funny. It's very, a very Siri thing. Yeah, I, I do that to everyone that's close to me. I, I will always send them things or sometimes I'll just buy them the thing and I'll be like, here you go. Like, I bought you this because I knew that it would help you and you probably need it. There you go. You have it now. Um, but I mean, can't be buying that kind of stuff all the time. <laughs> Anyways, the fourth type of social support is appraisal. Um, and that is, a, I, I, when I was like trying to figure out the definition and try to explain it, it's a little, I felt like it's a little bit more abstract. Um, but it's basically like boosting one's self-esteem. So like, you know, I guess, well, the love language would be, um, what's, what's it? Words of affirmation. Words of affirmation. Yeah. yeah. Words of affirmation. Um, so this actually ties into another pigeon saying, which I would like to introduce um, as appraisal. Um, it is called You Shame, You Starve. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, like I said, if anyone is listening and knows that term, um, You Shame, You Starve, um, it is it's kind of hard to translate, but it basically means that if you don't speak up, if you don't have an op, you know, if you don't seize the opportunity to say something or to do something or whatever, then you're going to starve. You're going to miss out on these opportunities. And have I told you about going to, um, you know, a party at a Pacific Islanders house? I before. think I think so, but by all means, like please elaborate for the listeners. <laughs> yeah. So uh, basically, when you show up at a you know for a party um, at a Pacific Islanders house, fun fact. So t- kind of random tangent, but um, in Hawaiian, it's not a party. It's not considered a party unless there's food there, and it's a different word in Hawaiian. That's what my kumu told me. She's like, it's a paina, which means party. Um, when there's food, but it's like a celebration. I don't remember what the Hawaiian word is if there's not food there. Um, so anyways, so when you get there, you have to say hello to everybody. Like, you know, otherwise it's like rude if you don't. Um, and then you go eat. Like I literally always want to eat with people. That's the one activity that I always want to do, um, with folks. So I think it's just like a, you know, you shame, you starve. Like that's just like a really, it creates like this image of like, you're at a party, you know, and like. You got the all the aunties and the uncle that's like kind of drunk in the corner and he's like dancing and like kind of, you know, acting up, but not in like the a bad way. He's just like kind of just doing his thing and being embarrassing, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and if you, you know, you're going to miss out on all like the richness and all of like the lessons from like your kapuna and like, you know, just all these like really wonderful conversations if you keep to yourself. Um, and that is definitely a, you know, a Hawaiian value and a Pacific Islander value to, to share with people. Um, and if you're too ashamed to do that, then like I said, you're going to miss out, um, on some things. So, um, that's kind of my, you know, one of my guiding, um, I don't know, manifestos, like guiding advice. A core core value. Core value. That's a good word. Yeah. Core value. Um, yeah, core value um, of public health too. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think too, like for the listeners that might be um, interested in going into other fields, like 
many of you probably know because I ramble about it endlessly, right? Like I'm going into <laughs> psychology and I've, I, I've been so grateful for my experience wow. working around um, all you public health folk because it gives you, I don't know, such a, a different lens and perspective yeah. that can absolutely be applied to, mm -hmm. to like, you know, the hard sciences. It can be applied to more of the social sciences, like mm -hmm. anything where you're um, wanting to interact with other people or like learn more and mm -hmm. research other, other folks. Yeah. Um, I think is it absolutely needs to get worked in to like the curriculum of all of that more. Cause I, yeah. I, I wouldn't have known, you know, some of the things that I would have known, um, if I hadn't been around all, all of y'all and, and learned from this different perspective. Um, but it's absolutely critical to, I don't know, have that, that lens and that appreciation. I think kind of continuing on and, and highlighting like kind of what you've brought up throughout all of this, right? We've talked like very specifically about like you working in and um, bringing public health to your community. Yes. Can you um, kind of talk more and, and, you know, in the communities that you have worked with that aren't necessarily mm -hmm. ones that you're a part of. Right. You've like made it like a point to bring in like that, like try your best to like learn that cultural framework and approach them where they're at. Yes. Can you just kind of, for the listeners, like why 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 do that why is that so important why not just keep doing things as we do things um and stick to the books because white supremacy um <laughs> because of white supremacy because um public health has a long foundation on white supremacy and we are here to actively try to dismantle that um you know, so this is actually, so what you're kind of alluding to is um, what we talk about um, positionality, which I think also the field of psychology also talks about that too. Um, so this is something that uh, my grad school program of the OHSU PSU School, school of Public Health is emphasizing. Um, so backtracking to when I said I was a sexuality, gender, and queer studies minor, positionality and um, our social, what's called our social location, uh, which means like our identity and how that affects the world, uh, our, not affects the world around us, but how we interact with the world and how other others interact with us. That's kind of the gist of like my position, you know, your positionality. It's like what you bring to any given situation yeah, and how like, the world interacts with you based on that. Yeah. Like what you bring to the table, what exactly. you bring to the table and who, you know, who comes to eat with you um, who, and who doesn't and how you kind of interact at different tables, essentially, to use an analogy. Um, so my school emphasizes that and I didn't realize that, you know, me as a multiracial woman of color and my friends who are majority, you know, multiracial um, people of color, we all kind of come inherent with that, right? As a person of color, you know, that's like, we're thinking about our racial um, identity all the time. A lot, a lot. I think about, you know, how I am a Hawaiian, Chinese, Japanese, Portuguese, Finnish femme all the time um, and how I present to the world. And, you know, that's really important in public health because you have to understand, like you said, the culture and the people that are in there because you have to interact with them and you have to realize your own biases um, and your own, your own things that you're bringing 
you know, to the to the table with others um, to not perpetuate harm. Um, a lot of times in public health, um, a lot of, you know, really, well, this is, yeah, what's this called like it is? A lot of harm, a lot of really, you know, we're trying to repair it, but there's a lot of harm that has, public health has put on, you know, black and brown bodies. You look up the history of public health and a lot of the really traumatic um, and unjust experiments that they have done on Black people, Black women, you know, like Black and brown bodies throughout the years. And, you know, one way to try to address that moving forward is stating your positionality as it relates to the community that you are trying to do public health work in, um, right? And so for taking like a provided example to, to like give a little bit more context. So I, like I said, grew up in Holon, Hawaii. If I go back to that community because I am fair skinned, you know, I guess racially maybe ambiguous. I'm, I'm not really sure like how to like explain that properly, but people basically don't see me as a Pacific Islander or Asian a lot of times. Um, people usually just see me as Howley, um, which means white, um, especially back home. And if I try to do public health, public health work there, I have to be really aware of how people will perceive me, um, which is just what it is. Even though that I was born and raised there, um, there is still a lot of, um, you know, relationship building that I would need to do to actually practice public health there. Um, another example is um, I've worked a lot with um, what we call the PWID, PWID uh, which means uh, people that use IV drugs. Um, so I've worked with that community pretty extensively um, doing volunteer work at a syringe exchange and doing... Um, you know, research with them. And, you know, like I had, um, someone asked me, you know, once, um, if I use drugs, um, you know, and uh, like about my like drug use, um, just to like, be able to like connect with the community. Um, and I saw that, you know, I recognized my, at least when I was doing research that I was in a position of power. I was in a position of power, um, and the community that was I was interviewing were used to code switching um, to try to connect, try, not even try to connect, like try to navigate, um, you know, medical systems um, or talking with, you know, people that they perceived as providers or people that were in power. Absolutely. Yeah, because anytime... Anytime we come in, um, like I, us as in like social scientists, like, mm -hmm. you know, the hard science, yeah. right? Like we're, um, I don't know, th that is like a position of power because we're asking them all these questions yeah. and we're like, we're, yeah. we're, they know, like people know mm -hmm. you're going to use that data for something, mm -hmm. but like what exactly, what, what are you thinking that says about me? All of that's, I don't know. And then there's the, the element, right? Like that you brought up of just like, do you understand Mm -hmm. like why yeah 
Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's like the informed consent part, right? Do they understand like what's happening, you know? And so a lot of times, like, because we gave, you know, an incense, you know, there was a, um, you know, they got money for participating. Um, that was part of it. And it was, the, you know, a good amount of money. And so I, I had some, some clients that would say, you know, I'm, or allude to the fact that they were basically trying to, they were treating it like a quiz instead of research. They were trying to put in the right answers for the survey that I was, you know, the questions that I was asking them to try to write, to try to answer in the right way. So they would, you know, be able to participate in the study. Um, and so I had to address that and I wasn't used to being, you know, in a position of power, right. As a mixed race, you know, Hawaiian, um, Chinese, Japanese femme, you know, like that's not, uh, you know, the position that I usually occupy. Um, so that was a very interesting exercise into me recognizing my really educated and, um, you know, like really educated position of power. Um, you know, that was my, me realizing the privilege that I had in that, in those situations and in those environments. And I really just had to like tell my, um, clients the you know, the participants that I am here recording what you are saying to me, you know, whatever you tell me, I'm just recording it. I am not, you know, I can't choose answers for you. Um, I can't tell you how to answer these questions. Um, whatever you tell me, I'm gonna just record it on this computer. Um, and I think, you know, kind of like in the long, you know, long time that they kind of just sat with me, I felt like, you know, the more comfortable that they got because I said that I, you know, sometimes I have to say that repeatedly. Um, but I just, that's, what we're trying to do in dismantling white supremacy in public health, at least. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, I feel, I hear that, that same, like, goal echoed, you know, at least I can speak within psychology that also, right, because mm-hmm. that has a lot of horrible, awful, d- disgusting, like, roots. Um, and so acknowledging that distrust and the trauma that, like, right, like, stems from yeah. the work that we do and, like, like, owning it and trying to fix it yeah, know, as think... much or repair the rapport as much as, you know, as possible, but also, you know, understanding that, you know, some things can't be made better. It yeah. just, it just is. It is, it is what it is. I think I, um, I, I've, I've said, I shared this with you before, um, the phrase in Japanese, um, shikata kanai, like there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can better do about it. It's what's done is done. Um, and like you said, that was a, a great, phrase like we just have to acknowledge it um and try to do better you know we can always like try to do better um and that's you know why we're here while we're talking to you on this podcast we're trying to do better (laughs) to kind of shift gears a little bit um i wanted to jump over to um discussing you know you've we've talked a lot about the the work that you've you know been doing and what you've like like looked into like personally between the two of us um, but I think just like, could you share with like the listeners? I know um, you've just kind of 
you know, through your grad program, started being able to work within um, your, you know, the Pacific Islander community here. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about like what you've um, learned through those experiences and also Mm -hmm. the significance of it? Yeah. So um, this, um, you know, most reasonable, my most recent public health work has actually been within my own Pacific Islander community. And there is, uh, and it's the first time. And there's a reason behind that. There's a reason why it's my first time working within my own community. And so like I, um, like I said earlier, um, you know, I'm fair skinned. Um, I have, you know, European features, some Asian features. I'm not coded as Pacific Islander. I'm not coded as Hawaiian. Um, so there's a lot of, um, you know, honestly, there's a lot of internalized racism within my own community, um, that gatekeeps people that look like me, um, to be considered as a Pacific Islander, uh, which is just a, a result of ongoing colonization of our islands, uh, which I'm <laughs> sure you can relate to. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that that is for right for any like, you know, like multiracial, biracial folks, um, yeah. you know, it, it right there's like that 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 balancing act that you mm-hmm. have to do yeah. um that is just like inherently like a result of colonization of white supremacy mm-hmm. that you um, have to prove that you're you know bipoc enough you're indigenous enough you're you're native enough you know that we have to uh prove that to ourselves and other people around us um it is uh, it is it is it is what it is um but yeah, through that experience, um, you know, I really learned um, that, you know, as a BIPOC public health practitioner, and like me saying that I'm a BIPOC, that comes with a lot of weight. That is a more recent identity that I have been able, finally comfortable enough to say that I am. I don't think I've ever said it out loud. I think this is probably the first time I've ever say that, said it out loud, so I'm glad that we... We got this recorded on this podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, me as a BIPOC public health practitioner, we, you know, like working within my my own community, I know what, you know, I know my community. Um, there's not a learning curve. Um, I know how to interact with my community. We have shared values. We have shared norms. We, you know, share practices. And these are things that, you know, you can't learn. I mean, you can kind of learn, but it's not the same. It's not the same thing. Um, and you know, for me to like go within my own community, I don't have to do a lot of prior research on what's going on within my community and how to kind of connect with them. Um, and we, you know, I don't have to do like an extensive like literature review to try to be like, okay, what's, what's, what are the health inequities among Pacific Islanders? You know, I mean, I can, I'm, and I do, um, not to say like, I don't do that. Um, but it's a more, I have a, a more nuanced understanding. A lot of times in, you know, the hard sciences, the social sciences, your lived experience is really, it falls to the wayside. It's not really considered. Um, you know, it's very difficult for me to have to cite studies, um, on my own experiences of, you know, racism and, you know, my experiences of microaggressions, because I can talk from my lived experience and that is very valuable and very important and not emphasize as much, you know, like I, 
you can say your lived experience, but that's not going to get you published in a journal, a scientific peer-reviewed journal. Um, and the point of all of this, you know, what I'm trying to say is that I'm really trying to encourage fellow BIPOC to enter the field of public health, you know, because you all really know what's going on with your own communities. And also to say that, you know, I had the privilege to go to, you know, a really great medical school as my primary institution. Um, and I realize that that is a privilege, but I also want to say that public health is much more than that as well. We have this like really corny um, video um, that we all watch when we're public health like 101 students. Um, and for anyone that like is a public health major at PSU, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if they have it in psychology, like the really cringy like video that all psychology majors like see or whatever like that. <laughs> I mean, there's some like old classic studies that you hear over and over again, or you see like the cringy like made in like the seven. I I swear Dr. they're always Zimbardo. They're always made. They're always from like the seventies, and they're like horrible like VHF VHS quality yeah. and majority of the time you're like mm, that fashion is a choice sometimes you're yeah. like oh you got it like that's fantastic but uh it's it's um yeah there there's there's those uh those special old tapes that just get played over and over and yeah. over again and you're like i know this information like i'm tired of hearing about it. okay so anyways the public health version is these two girls are in new york city and I'll tell you to link this in the um, in the in the show notes so people can also be subjected to oh, um, this nonsense. Please send me the email. <laughs> I would love to watch this. I will totally do that. So it's these two girls in New York City, and I think it's like it's the I feel like it's like the like maybe late eighties or early nineties, maybe two thousand. I'm not really sure the time period, but they're going around New York City sticking stickers um, that say "This is public health" on them. And, um, you know, they stick it on, like, a biker's helmet. So I don't think the biker's, you know, <laughs> like, I don't think that person's wearing it. But, you know, they have, like, a bike helmet. They're like, this is public health. Or, like, the stop sign. Like, this is public health. They made the mistake of sticking it on a, a cop car because... You know, that's, that's, you know, police are not public health. Um, they're very not public health. And that's a whole other rabbit hole that we don't have time to dive into, but they're not. Um, so they made that mistake, but it's on there. Um, you know, so anyways, they're sticking on a bunch of different things that are like public health, mostly like public safety or, you know, oh, they, they stick it on like a water fountain, you know? So anyways, my point with all of this, um, is that public health is much more than just disease, you know, like disease intervention, you know, like prevention of diseases, uh, prevent prevention and treatment of, you know, chronic and communicable diseases. Um, it's everything from, you know, access to resources. Um, it's, you know, any anti-racism work. It is. <laughs> Any... It's a lot of it's a lot it's a lot of things. Um, you know, it's education. Um, it is you know um, environmental justice. Any any kind of like any kind of justice things. Um, you know, like 
body positivity, like, I mean, the list goes on and on. There's a lot of uh, work in public health. There's a lot of, you know, independent artists that are going on Instagram and like, you know, posting, you know, summaries of journals on graphics and creating graphics and being like, this is what this concept is. This is what, you know, explaining, I think like a microaggression and that's public health. You might not know it, but that, that is public health, you know, um, going into like, support, like what I noticed here in Portland, there's a, a really big sticker culture and a really big, um, you know, poster kind of like culture, um, at least around like Portland state, there's like posters everywhere and there's a lot of stickers and, uh, it's really awesome. Um, and you know, even just like making a sticker that says like, I don't know, like, um, you know, like destroy white supremacy, you know, that is, that is public health or, you know, um, making a post like, you know, those graphics that Multnomah County made on, you know, COVID-19 prevention, um, you know, with like wearing masks and things like that, that is public health. Um, you know, we'd love to have seen, um, Multnomah County publish those things sooner for our houseless neighbors, um, who didn't have access to the internet early pandemic, but that is another, um, gripe, um, you know, that is a rabbit hole that is too deep that to get into <laughs> right now. <laughs> pandemic response, like historic, current and historical pandemic responses yeah. could be an entire episode. <laughs> yes, basically. Um, yeah. So there we go. You might be doing public health work and, you know, not know it. And if you are, thank you. <laughs> thank you for doing that. <laughs> I think I think that's like worth discussing, right? There's so much it the public health intersects with so many other um like like service, you know, healthcare and service mm -hmm. industry, yeah. um like careers. Yeah. Like so much of psychology mm -hmm. interacts with with public health. Like yeah. we're we're, and vice versa. <laughs> yeah, right. Like it, it all, it all loops together. It's just like a different like lens to 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 view things mm -hmm. through. Indeed. Yeah. Um. It's funny enough you said that because I'm actually uh from one of my classes I am writing about uh racial trauma, <laughs> the experiences of of racial trauma, and there is a a newer diagnosis like racial trauma, um disorder or something like that Some, it, it sounded like uh post-traumatic stress disorder something similar to that uh, which i think is like really interesting um and sounds like from what i've been reading so far something that is like it's not super developed yet because a lot of therapists are unfamiliar with um with that idea um and how you know racism can cause trauma and you know i think some of our listeners have heard that, you know, public uh, racism is a public, public health crisis. Um, and, you know, it, it really is on so many levels, you know, the institutional level, the structural level, the individual le level, the internalized level. You know, we have there's so many levels of racism and, you know, looking, reflecting on you know, me now being in Portland, Oregon, uh, you know, from back home, I didn't realize how much racism really affected my community back home. Um, I think a lot of, uh, this is not a conversation that I think we, and we, as the people that I interact with 
here have too often. Um, I say that a lot of times my, you know, conversations about race are like race, racism one-on-one. And I'm really tired of having one-on-one conversations with, well, probably people, white people, you know, about race and racism. I'm, I'm really um, wanting to have more um, evolved conversations about the experiences of racism. And, you know, um, back home, there's a lot of, the racism is more, it, it is like Portland where it's invisible. Um, because we, you know, we're colonized people, people in Hawaii, um, you know, if you look at the history of Hawaii, um, it's plantation workers that were brought from plenty of different countries, you know, I probably wouldn't be, you know, the mix that I am if, if the U.S. didn't come in to the kingdom of Hawaii and colonize it and brought in a whole bunch of different people from different countries, um, and purposely pit you know, races against each other that were already in conflict um, to prevent them from uprising. And, you know, we have that, we have the history back home and it really does influence the culture back home. Um, I had to really unlearn a lot of toxic um, and hurtful um, values and norms back home. You know, unfortunately, um, you know, we... As Hawaiians, we don't take enough accountability ability for it, um, but we are very discriminatory and racist towards our, you know, our Micronesian family. Um, you know, there's a lot of really terrible nicknames for people that are Micronesian, um, you know, and that is not fair. That is unjust. And we don't as Pacific Islanders, there's really no reason to perpetuate this horizontal violence, right? Horizontal violence meaning like, you know, violence against your own racial or ethnic group. Like, why, why are we doing this? You know, we really need to like stop doing that and take accountability for it more and really try to stop doing that. Um, and unfortunately, as well, I had to come here and, and learn a lot of like you know, unlearn a lot of like the homophobia and transphobia as well, um, which is really unfortunate because, you know, in traditional Hawaiian culture, as I've, you know, more recently have learned, um, you know, Hawaiians were honestly like polyamorous and queer, you know, sexual relationships were open. Um, there is um, this phrase that I learned fairly recently called uh moi aku moi mai so for people that know pigeon you um they know moi moi which means to sleep so what i learned is moi aku moi mai means to sleep here and to sleep there <laughs> it's just kind of like you just go sleep everywhere you know you go go sleep around and it, and that's fine you know and that was okay um and also hawaiian um you know we have like our third gender um identity of mahu but that's you know, uh, an identity that back home is, you know, hurtful, um, and is stigmatized. And at the same time, it is, um, you know, used by cis gay men inappropriately. Um, and they don't realize the sacredness of, of that word. Um, they don't know the value of that word because they don't recognize that, 
the colonization and the race, the institution of racism that they are living in. Um, and that's really unfortunate. And I, you know, as much as, you know, my time in Portland has not been, you know, always the greatest. Um, I am grateful to have had access to higher education to really learn these things um, and to really try to unlearn some of this, a lot of this like toxic culture that I grew up around. Um, and at the same time, it's, you know, it's one of those like both and things that, yes, I had to unlearn a lot of the toxic culture that I grew up with, but at the same time, I still experienced the Hawaiian diaspora. You know, someone said to me, um, and he wouldn't, you know, he wasn't speaking directly to me, but just Pacific Islanders in general and Hawaiians in general that, you know, the border, we didn't cross into the United States. You know, we didn't, we don't willingly come here. Um, you know, choice is a privilege. Um, you know, me and a lot, other, a lot of other Pacific Islanders have left our home islands um, because of finances, because we needed money. Um, you know, oh, some other islands, you know, in Pacifica are experiencing environmental degradation because of climate change. Literally, some islands will not be there anymore. Um, you know, and it is hard to express what, how I feel about that. Um, it's hard, it's, it's, a, it's, it's heavy in the way that I've grown up away from my culture, but at the same time, you know, my Kapuna, like my ancestors, they, they're here, you know, they're here with me. They're in my blood. Like I feel that on a deep level and to see, you know, my home islands of North Shore flooded was really hard on me. Um, that was really hard, even though I never lived in North Shore or really knew anyone there. It's still my islands and I'm excluded from home because not only like personal, you know, ish, you know, not even personal issues. It's really this internalized racism. It's internalized racism, you know, and individual racism and structural racism as to why I have to, you know, feel uncomfortable going back home. Um, but at the same time, I've been fortunate enough to surround myself with such amazing, you know, mixed race people that understand, you know, that understand how that is, um, you know, and it's been really healing and I'm very grateful for it. Um, really, like really humble to, you know, include Quinn in that too, <laughs> you know, as one of my, as one of my, you know, closest friends that I, that we can talk about this kind of stuff, you know, um, and, you know, just, just, you know, to everyone that, you know, you know who you are <laughs> listening to this. Absolutely. I love you all. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Just kind of want to sit with that for a second, because I think it's, it's very heavy and I'm sure that it resonates, um, you know, with other listeners, um, 
with their own you know you know unique contexts um mm-hmm. but it it's a it's a whole a whole lot and and thank you for you know being vulnerable and sharing you know your story and your journey with us um i think yeah. it's, it's it's incredibly valuable to hear you know to, to hear people yeah thanks for holding that space with me i didn't i didn't expect to go there and i'm you know i it, it's it's beautiful to like have this moment and not know what's coming next and you know it's so organic and you know we really didn't I didn't plan to go there so I'm I'm super like grateful for that <laughs> the joy of podcasting <laughs> yeah. being like true like genuine conversation I don't know the I, I don't know I live I live for that that like like genuine human like moment where you get to hear like you know authentic stories it's a lot easier being interviewed by your best friend too. So um, I think that helps a lot. <laughs> There's that built-in rapport. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but but genuinely, like Siri, thank you so much for mm-hmm. um, again sharing your own, you know, your your own unique perspective, and then also you know your expertise in the public health field. <laughs> I think there's yeah. a lot of um, really wonderful things um, that folks can take away from this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, please, please, please check out all of um, you know any the resources and the links below in the description. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to say or highlight? Um, I just wanted to say goodbye. So um, mahalo nui loa to Quinn, um, all the other Whatsters, and whoever's out there listening. Um, you know, um, I'll end the podcast. Um, saying ahoy ho which is um another pacific islander uh podcast does that which means i'll see you again see you again so ahoy ho (laughs) thank you so much siri and um have a great one listeners take care We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the What's Up podcast. We'll catch up with you on our next episode, which will be posted every Friday this term. While PSU has gone remote for the time being, we wanted to let you know that Shaq is still here for you. We are fully committed to the physical and emotional health and wellness of PSU students. Please call ahead to use our health services for flu shots, free COVID testing, or general appointments at 503 725-2800. Counseling services are still available via telehealth and you can schedule your appointments by calling that same number 503-725-2800. If you are looking for more health and wellness resources, you can check out our online health magazine that gets sent to your pdx.edu email every Wednesday or you can download the Campus Well app. You can also check out the virtual MindSpa experience to rest, relax, and rejuvenate wherever you have internet access. We will be including website links in the episode description. We also have a Google form that you can complete with any questions about health, check, or anything we discuss in the podcast. You can find the link in the episode description. Thanks for listening, and take care.